This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Made it through another week. And uh, we've got plenty to talk about this morning, so uh, we'll get to all that in just a minute. Uh, First of all, I want to apologize uh, for yesterday not being on the air. Um, We had uh, an Internet outage here, and... uh, uh, not sure exactly what happened, but I kind of suspect that w- w- there's been a uh, one of the uh, cable companies slash Internet companies, Frontier, has been working in our neighborhood here for the last week, week and a half. I mean, they've had trucks everywhere stringing new wires or doing whatever it is they're doing. And uh, I think uh, and they were right outside at the corner of my street. I have a feeling that's what happened because uh, about. 9.30, suddenly a Comcast truck, which is the internet provider I have, all of a sudden they appeared on the scene. Um, and I have a feeling that somehow Frontier disconnected one of their wires. So anyway, uh, I finally got my internet back yesterday sometime after 10 o'clock or like 10.30, something like that. So anyway, uh, so I apologize for yesterday. But uh, well, welcome to a, uh, a Friday morning wake-up call, as I said. Uh, some good news here in the state of Connecticut. It's snowing outside right now, so it's really kind of hard to think that baseball season's right around the corner. But uh, the good news is for student-athletes here in the state of Connecticut, high school sports is going to happen in the spring. Uh, The CIAC announced yesterday that the high school spring sports season will start on April 10th. They'll be able to begin practices on the 27th of March, contests starting on the 10th. The only question mark right now is boys lacrosse. They haven't quite figured that part out yet um, as to whether they're going to do it or not. But we know we will have baseball and we'll have softball and we'll have outdoor track. And uh, so that's that's great news. Uh, as you know, we're ha- we finally are having a winter season. It's only 12 games, no fans uh, by and large. Um, but something is better than nothing. But it looks like the spring season may be somewhat normal, and they are going to allow a state tournament as well. We are not going to have a state tournament here uh, for the winter season, uh, but we will have one in the spring. So that's great news. As I said, it's snowing outside, and any news we get about baseball is is a good thing uh, because I'm sick of this. I'm ready. It's uh, February 19th. Matter of fact, about a month from now, usually I'm, uh, I'm working out in my garden getting ready to to plant my peas and stuff. So I'm hoping that uh, we're at the end of it. We're finally going to see some temperatures here. They said in the fifties next week, so I can't wait, but uh, great news about, uh, about high school baseball and softball and lacrosse coming up here in the state of Connecticut in just uh, about a month. Um, the Hartford yard goats, the double a affiliate of the Colorado Rockies announced their schedule yesterday. Now, the schedule is going to be a little shorter than usual. Normal double-A seasons are like 140 games. They're going to play 114 this year. And they don't start 
until May the 4th. Normally they would be starting about the second week of April, so they're going to start about three weeks late, and the season is going to go longer. They won't finish up until September the 19th. Uh, normally they're finishing the first week of September. So they're going to do 114 games. There's going to be some adjustments. They're going to have six-game series, which is unheard of. So, for instance, you know, when uh, uh, Binghamton comes in, the, the Mets affiliate, they'll be playing six games in Hartford against the Mets. And then when uh, the yard goats go up to Binghamton, same thing, six-game series up there. That's pretty unusual. Uh, usually it's three or four games. Six is <laughs> – it's just going to be strange. But, you know, uh, you know. again, it, I think at this point, people are not going to bitch about that. You know, take what you can get. Uh, the other good news is with the uh, state's positivity rate here in Connecticut right now at 2%. It was lower than 2% for the last couple of days. It's right around 2%. Uh, the governor is relaxing some restrictions starting here in a couple of weeks. Uh, restaurants are going to be able to stay open longer, as we talked about before, but they're going to start allowing fans at sporting events outside uh, or even inside 25% capacity. So we're going to have fans at Hartford Yard Goats games when, you know, unless all hell breaks loose and, you know, these variants or whatever is happening and, and things get ugly, but it looks like we're going to have fans um, for Yard Goats games. And, you know, I can't wait. And, and I'm sure, like, Central Connecticut State University is going to be opening up its baseball season here in a week or so. Uh, I'm sure they're hoping they're going to be able to have fans. And, and with what the governor is planning and with the positive news about the, uh, the COVID rate here in the state, looks like it's going to happen. So that's great news. Um, not great news if you are a Yale University fan in the state of Connecticut uh, the Ivy League has announced that it is not going to hold a spring sports season. Uh, they are not going to have – now, let me clarify that. They're not going to have a Ivy League season, but they are going to allow their teams, if they wish, to play some non-conference games um, as long as the teams that they are going to play are within 40 miles. So Yale would be able to play – any school within 40 miles. So what does that mean? Well, they could play Quinnipiac and Fairfield and Sacred Heart. Uh, they could play Central Connecticut, University of Hartford. They, there's plenty of non-conference games they could get in. So, uh, it, but they will. There will be no Ivy League season. You know, and the Ivy League has been the most conservative uh, Division One conference in the country when it's come to sports through this whole pandemic. And uh, I, I'm not surprised. That, that that's what they've gone with. But, again, allowing their teams to play some non-conference games, step in the right direction. You know, it, it, we'll take all the positive news we can get, right? Um, all right. Uh, huge news in football. We knew the trade was coming. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles had Carson Wentz sitting on their bench. They had just signed him to a new deal that kicks in this year, a four-year, $128 million contract that he signed. It was an extension to his contract that he signed in June of 2019. Um, and they benched him last year. Well, they have traded him now to the Indianapolis Colts. In return, um, Philly will get a third-round pick in this year's draft and a conditional second-round pick in 2022 that can become a first-round pick if Wentz plays 75% of the snaps this year or 70% and the Colts make the playoffs. So basically, if he's their starting quarterback, it becomes a first-round pick. Um, he's going to be their first-round quarterback, let's be honest. I mean, the, the 
Colts don't have a lot of other options. Phillip Rivers was their quarterback last year, got him to the playoffs, but retired. Um, their other quarterback, uh, Jacoby Brissett, is going to be a free agent. And the only other quarterback on the roster is Jacob Eason, who was a rookie last year, never took a snap. So Carson Wentz is their quarterback. And look, the Eagles were not very good this year. <clears throat> and and I, think, I think Carson Wentz kind of became the whipping boy. Uh, he got benched after 12 games for Jalen Hurts. Uh, this is a guy who had led the Eagles to their only Super Bowl title. You know, they won the Super Bowl in 2017. He was third in MVP voting, um, you know, before an, uh, a knee injury ended his season. They ended up going on to win the Super Bowl. But look, this is a guy that can play, but he was on a terrible team last year. He is going to a much better team in the Colts, and I expect him to have a lot of success. Look, that Colts offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. Um, they have a 1,000-yard a player in Jonathan Taylor. He became the fifth rookie in Colts history to run for 1,000 a, a yards. They've got a great bunch of receivers and tight ends. Uh, you know, don't forget they've got uh, uh, they've got T.Y. Hilton now. He could become a, a free agent, but hopefully they're going to keep him. Marlon Mack could become a free agent. We'll have to see how much absorbing that huge contract of Wentz is going to affect what else they're able to do. But the, and the other X factor here is that the Colts are coached by Frank Reich. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia for the first two seasons that Wentz was in the league. Uh, Frank Reich is a former NFL quarterback. Played with the Buffalo Bills and a couple other teams. Frank Reich is a guy who engineered the greatest comeback in NFL history in a playoff game. If you remember, they, uh, the Bills were getting killed by the Houston Oilers and came back to beat them. Well, Frank Reich did that. And Frank Reich is regarded as one of the best developers of quarterbacks in the NFL, a great mentor for a quarterback. Well, that all adds up to Carson Wentz having a monster year for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, for the uh, Indianapolis Colts, I've already I got to get my mind straight. But I think this is a great pick. I don't think that the Eagles. Well, I don't think the Eagles got what I thought they were going to get, but that's also because of the amount of money that the Colts are forced to take on. So you know, I think a lot of a lot of experts thought they would get more than a third and a conditional second, but. Philly needed to dump that contract. If they, They've obviously made the decision that Jalen Hurts is their guy, so they had to get rid of that contract. That's a huge cap hit that they're going to take you know, if they don't do that. So they forced themselves uh, or put, painted themselves into a corner where they did not have a lot of choice. So that's where we are at as far as that goes. And I just think that for Wentz, uh, he's got to be breathing a big, Big sigh of relief this morning. Uh, the Boston Bruins watched them play last night. It was uh, a disappointing performance. That's a New Jersey Devil team that I thought they would that they should beat. Uh, not a great performance last night. The Bruins have 
now lost two in a row. That loss last night, they lost to the New Jersey Devils 3-2. to two. It's the first time the Bruins have lost at home all year. Uh, with that in, in and of itself is saying a lot. You know, and a lot of people are pushing the panic button the last couple of games. Uh, the Bruins' offense has been a little stagnant. I mean, they, they got two goals last night. One of them was on a six-on-four power play. They got a power play with two minutes left in the game, pulled the goalie so they'd have a six-on-four. And Charlie McAvoy uh, got him a goal with uh, about a minute to go. But, you know, but don't push the panic button, folks. You know, it, there's a story in the Boston Globe this morning about, oh, my God, they're in a slump. They're 10-3-3. and Can we relax? They have, like, the second-best record in the NHL. Relax. Now, you know, if this continues for three, four, five games, maybe be a little bit concerned, but for God's sake, relax. Now, there is a little bit of a concern. David Krejci left the game last night in the second period. Some kind of a lower body injury. They didn't give us any details on it. Matter of fact, there were no details even uh, this morning other than it sounds like it's severe enough that he may not make the road trip this weekend. The Bruins are playing uh, in the, those pair of uh, outdoor games at Lake Tahoe this weekend. Uh, they're playing the Flyers on Sunday. Uh, there is a chance that Krejci won't even make the trip. So that has to be a little bit of a concern. But don't push the panic button last night. You know, uh, it's look, it's a long season. You know, uh, you're going to lose some games. You know, you can't and – and look, there's no question. We've gotten spoiled. The Bruins have started out games where they haven't scored in the first two periods, and the next thing you know they, they'll put up three or four in the third period and they end up winning the game. They have found ways to win games this year uh, when they haven't been at their best. In the last two games against the Islanders and the Devils, they've struggled. Uh, you know, and, and give uh, – Give the Devils a lot of credit. They smothered Brad Marchand and David Pasternak last night. They weren't able to uh, get a lot of open space. Uh, Bergeron, uh, I think, had three shots on goal last night. He, You know, the Bruins really were more a victim of good defense by the Flyers last night than anything. And, and Yaroslav Halak... Uh, gave up the three goals. The one that's the most disappointing, he gave up a shorthanded goal, and that was really the killer in this game. Uh, gave up a shorthanded goal to Kyle Palmieri uh, midway through the second period. That's the second time this year that the Bruins have given up a shorthanded goal. Palmieri scored the first two goals of the game for the Devils. He scored uh, a minute and a half into the second, and then that shorthanded goal made it 2 nothing, and then it was an uphill battle the rest of the way. So, uh, But don't panic. Don't panic, Bruin fans. Uh, I mentioned those games at Salt Lake City this weekend. I'm looking forward to them. Uh, I love watching outdoor hockey. Uh, I think it's cool. I, I think they should do that more. I really do. Uh, but the other thing I'm looking forward to this weekend is uh, during that, uh, I think they're going to show it. I don't know if it's going to be between games or after the second game, but NBC is airing a documentary on Sunday afternoon called uh, Doc Emmerich the voice of hockey. Uh, of course, Doc Emmerich retired at the end of last year. He is, without a doubt, the greatest hockey play-by-play guy in history. 
I'm 60 years old. I've heard a lot of them, and we've had some good ones here, uh, you know, in the NHL. But nobody comes close to Doc Emmerich. You know, maybe one of the f- most famous hockey calls of all time was Al Michaels calling the U.S. Olympic hockey teams win over Russia. You know, do you believe in miracles? And and look, you know, Al Michaels was fine. You know, uh, you know. They've got Kenny Albert does games. He's fine. John Forslund, an old friend of mine, a guy that I used to work games with. Uh, John was the play-by-play guy, and I would did color for him when uh, doing minor league hockey years ago. Uh, John's really good, but nobody, but nobody is as good as Doc Emmerich was, and, and still is. Frankly, I didn't. You know, I was sad that he retired, but he's. I think he's in his mid seventies now, seventy four, seventy five. So you know what? If he wants to sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of his life, and you know maybe the pandemic had something to do with it, I don't know. You know, I'm sad. It, it seems strange not hearing Doc's voice, but uh, they're going to have a uh, a documentary this weekend, and it's going to have a bunch of uh, former broadcasters and current broadcasters and players and uh, talking about him, and and they'll be reliving some of his greatest calls. Doc was not involved in this. He said he doesn't know how he's going to feel. Uh, when he sits down to watch it, he's going to watch it just like you and me. Um, and he said he hasn't asked him a lot about it. He said because it'd be kind of like asking somebody what what they got you for Christmas. You know, like opening up the knowing knowing what the present is before uh, you see it. And uh, I get that, I get that. And you know, and somebody else asked him why he didn't want to watch it. He said, well, he remembered talking to a guy years ago, a, a, a Hall of Famer, George Armstrong, who played in Toronto and. Uh, asked him if he'd ever been to the Hockey Hall of Fame. And the guy told him no. And, and when he asked him why, he said, he said, because I don't want someone to walk into the Hockey F- Hall of Fame and see me looking at myself, you know, looking at my award there on the wall. You know, and so Doc's like, you know, I just, I, I, don't, I don't want somebody to, to think that I'm involved in patting myself on the back. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, so if you're a hockey fan, uh, you got to watch this, and and if 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 you're young, and your only experience with Doc Emmerich is the last few years watching hockey, I highly encourage you to watch this show because he is, uh, without a doubt, the greatest. I mean, we've had he is the he is to hockey what Vin Scully is to baseball or was to baseball until Vin retired. You know, when he turned uh, when he was turning ninety, uh, but. That I mean, those they are at the top of the heap as far as those two sports goes. You know, with football, it's a little bit more difficult. I would say, you know, for a color guy, obviously John Madden is the kind of the uh, gold standard as far as uh, analysts go, and as far as play-by-play guys go, I'll tell you what, uh, Al Michaels to me might be right up there. Whether you know, and Jim Nance is very good. Uh, maybe I think my favorite of all time, and maybe it's just because I'm old. My favorite f- uh, football announcer of all time was Pat Summerall. I used to love when Pat Summerall did games, uh, just because he was so uh, understated. But uh, of today's guys, I think Al Michaels, to me, uh, is my favorite. And, you know, and I like Jim Nance, but I think Al Michaels is the best. But anyway, so Sunday afternoon, you got to watch this thing on Doc Emmerich if you're a hockey, even if you're not a hockey fan. And you enjoy sports broadcasting. Uh, listening to Doc call a game was was a thing of beauty. It's twenty five minutes past the hour. We got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.
Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. Uh, programming note, we've got high school basketball coming up here on Saturday. We were supposed to have a game yesterday. That game was uh, postponed because of the weather. Uh, it was supposed to be North Brantford at Cromwell. Uh, they are going to play that game on Saturday. We will not be doing that game, however. We have a Cheshire High School at Xavier already scheduled, so we will be doing that game 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. Uh, hope you can join us. All right, uh, let's switch gears to my favorite sport, baseball, and uh, – Again, with the the country just uh, in the deep freeze all the way down into Texas. I mean, they're having, uh, you know, the lead story on the Today Show this morning was uh, was the cold in Texas. Uh, the power outages, I guess they're starting to get those under control. Um, and I think they expect to have pretty much everybody back by the end of tomorrow is what I heard. But now they're dealing with people uh, have to boil water. You know, that uh, the water supply has been compromised as well through this whole thing. So, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, and uh, temperatures all the way up through the middle of the country, up here into the northeast, just uh, well below normal. And uh, so let's talk baseball because it just makes me feel warmer. Uh, and uh, Fernando Tatis is probably going to be feeling very warm and very comfortable for the rest of his life. Uh, he got a record contract. Well, in terms of length of contract, anyway, he signed. <laughs> get this: a 14-year contract for 340 million dollars. It's the longest contract in terms of length in Major League Baseball history. The 340 million dollars is the third largest in terms of total money. Um, the only. Uh, the only guys that have received contracts in that ballpark uh, were Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. Uh, their deals were larger, uh, but they were for 12 years, and they signed those contracts at 27. Fernando Tatis is 22 years old. And, look, the Padres have done a smart thing here. And you you might say, well, how can this be smart? And I had this conversation with my wife, Barbara, because the amount of money – that Major League Baseball players make, to her, just is mind-boggling. It, it makes her shake her head every time. But it's the same for her, you know, in terms of, you know, what actors make. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's not real money. You know, and I like to say all the time, this is like Monopoly money. But this kid's 22 years old. If the San Diego Padres had allowed him to continue playing the way he is. now. Let's put this in perspective. His rookie year in 2019, he made $555,000, which is the major league minimum. Last year, I don't know what he made, uh, but again, it wasn't much because it was a shortened season. All right. He wasn't going to be able to become a free agent until 2025. So what could the Padres have done? Well, they could have continued uh, to pay him, you know, the major league minimum for the next year or so. Then he would have gotten arbitration, and he would have probably made $10, 12 $15 million in arbitration for a couple of years, and then he would have been eligible be, to become a free agent. And then the Padres would have had to then outbid teams like the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers. You know, the money that would have been thrown at Fernando Tatis if he had decided to just play it out and go to free agency when he was eligible would have been ridiculous. And the Padres knew that. So the Padres were smart here. 
They said, let's lock the kid up now. You know, we get him for 14 years, all right, for $340 million. Now, I don't have a calculator, but my guess is that is in the ballpark of about $27-ish million a year, which is ridiculous on the face of it. Anybody making $27 million of the When the President of the United States makes $400,000 a year to have a ball player making $27 million a year seems absolutely ridiculous. I get it, but it's what the market will bear. Now, again, this is why, though, that the Padres were smart. If he goes to free agency in 2025, what kind of money is he going to command? Well, right now, the top players are commanding between 30 and $35 million a year. By the time 2025 came and he was a free agent, we might be finding a guy would it would be between 35 and $40 million a year. So the $27 million a year they're going to play, uh, pay Tatis is a bargain. <laughs> I, you mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it really is. And this one is not as onerous as some of the others. Now, you know, some people are saying, well, you know, obviously they're going to get decreasing value as the contract goes on and he gets older and his skills diminish. Okay, I'll give you that. But how far are his skills going to diminish at age 36? He's not going to be like he was at 22, but let's say he stays healthy. How far are his skills going to decline? Here's what we know. For for the probably the first 10 years of those 14 years, he is going to be in the prime of his career. All right? He is going to produce ridiculous numbers. This kid is really talented. We have seen that. And his defense has gotten better in addition to his offensive numbers. The contract that everybody wants to jump on and say, well, this is an example of why you don't do things like this is Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is kind of held up as the guide of, you know, be careful what you do here. Albert was signed to a, I believe it was a 10-year contract by the Angels back in 2012 when he signed with them and left St. Louis. From the time the Angels signed him, they never got, with the exception of one year, his first year in L.A., he hit 285 and, you know, 30 homers and 100-plus runs batted in. Outside of that, they haven't gotten anywhere near the value for Albert Pujols that they thought they were getting. Now, they signed him to that 10-year contract, though, and this is, this is what's important to remember. That 10-year contract that they signed Pujols to was when Albert was already 31 years old. Now, you could point to the Angels' contract and say, well, they got screwed when they signed that long-term deal with Pujols. Well, they were stupid because he was already at the prime of his career. They, you know, a, a player's prime is considered somewhere between, you know, uh, up till age 30, 31. Well, they signed him to a 10-year deal at age 31. What the hell did they think was going to happen? Has he hit a bunch of home runs for them? Yeah. He's hit 30 home runs in a year twice. And he's hit 40 home runs in a year twice. He's driven in 100 runs four times out of the last nine years that he's been with them. And he's only hitting 
at about a 265 clip. Whereas in St. Louis, this is a guy that annually would hit you 320, 330, hit 40, drive in 120, 130 runs. He wasn't the same player when he left St. Louis. Now, with Fernando Tatis, he's nine years younger than Albert Pujols was when Pujols signed that big deal. And look at what Fernando Tatis has done in his first two years in the league. His rookie year, he hit 317. Now, last year, he hit 277 in that strike-shortened year, but he hit 17 home runs in 257 at-bats. Had an OPS of 937. This kid is going to be – look, he's going to – here's the thing. He's going to get better. He's only 22. He's still figuring this out. And he already made great strides in his defense last year. You know, he's going – to get better. So to me, this is a brilliant move by San Diego. Now, San Diego has always been known as a mid-market team, a team that doesn't have a lot of money to spend. Well, last year they signed Manny Machado to a 10-year deal for $300 million. So they've invested $30 million a year into Machado. They're investing $27 million a year into Fernando Tatis. You know, and... The thing is, is that they're trying to compete with the Dodgers. Now, they're never going to spend the $240 million a year that the Dodgers do. But if you're smart, and this is a smart move by them, by getting a top-quality talent where you're paying a little bit more now, but you're saving in the long run. He, he wouldn't be making $27 million now, but by the time he gets to age 30, if he was a free agent, he'd be making north of $35 million a year. If his progression continues. Now, if Tatis is a flash in the pan and, and uh, you know, he suddenly starts to stink, which nobody thinks is going to happen, well, then you look like an idiot. But, you know, this is a great deal for Tatis. Why? You get, you get financial security right now. Look, if he breaks his leg and becomes – and has to retire, like, you know, let's say it never heals. He's set. You know, he's set. I mean, it's smart. You know, if something bad happens and, and he can't play anymore, he's set for life. Of course, you could make the argument you play one year for that kind of money, you're set for life. But he never will have to worry. So, yeah, maybe in the long run he could have made more money by continuing to uh, play out the process and then taking uh, his free agency. But he went for the money now. And I think this is smart. I think... If the Red Sox had done this with Mookie Betts when Mookie was 20 or 21 or 21 or 22 years old, he might still be in Boston. Now, there are people that would say, well, Mookie Betts didn't want to be in Boston. He was never going to re-sign with Boston. I, I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, we have seen uh, the Atlanta Braves do that with some of their young stars where they're signing them to longer-term deals. Now, you know, I think in some cases you have to be sure but this is the you know this is the way to go and we might see more and more of this because teams are realizing that you're losing your superstars and look what's going on in Boston look at how angry Boston fans are at losing Mookie Betts you know and he's not the first big name that the Red Sox have lost 
because of money. You know, and, you know, looking at, at Tom Brady walking away from New England, you know, you see these things and, you know, there's more of a desire, I think, by some ownership groups to realize that we've got to keep the fans on our side. And that means we've got to keep the popular players and the guys who are our superstars in our uniform for their careers or as much of it as we feasibly can. And in the long run, we save money. So I like it. I, I like this move a lot. Um, so good for him. Uh, you know, and I, I wonder if we'll see something like that in Toronto with Vlad Jr., although I think Vlad Jr. is a, a little bit more of a crapshoot because of his conditioning issues. But maybe a Kevin Biggio would be like that. Maybe a couple of the young superstars like Luis Robert, those kind of guys in with the Chicago White Sox. Um, there are so many superstar players right now, <coughs> young superstar players, that we could potentially see this become uh, a, a yearly thing. You know, every year uh, some, some good young kid is going to get a, a contract like this because I just think, I don't think there's a downside for the play. The other part about this with Tatis, he has a full no trade. So for the entire 14 years, if he wants to stay in San Diego, they cannot trade him. And, you know, I think that is brilliant as well. Now, it doesn't mean he can't waive his no trade. And usually, though, when a player waives his no trade, um, the team has to pay him money to, to agree to waive that no trade. You know, and if things sour in San Diego, he can always say, hey, you can trade me now. But why would you want to leave San Diego? I mean, again, that's the other part of this. If you're Tatis, you're playing in one of the greatest climates in the country, in the world. San Diego is – look, I don't want to – I'm I don't, I'm not a California guy. I don't want to live in California. But if I was going to live in California, that's where I would go. I've been all over the state of California, and there is no place in that state that is any better than San Diego. I love San Diego. And so if you're a player, why wouldn't you want to stay there? Why the hell would you want to go play – and I'm a Red Sox fan, but why the hell would you want to go play in the Northeast and freeze your ass off for half the year when when you could stay in San Diego where, you know, where the ballpark is, you know, it's 75, the average temperature is 75 degrees because, you, you know, year round because you get that, you know, and I, and I realize it's close to the desert. You go outside the city a little bit, it's hotter than hell. But that, you know, that whole, the offshore breezes and the marine layer and all that, it keeps the temperatures down. Why wouldn't you want to play there? So, uh, good for Fernando Tatis. I think I think this is absolutely brilliant. We got lots more baseball to talk about. It's forty-two minutes past the hour. We got to take another break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's forty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. So, uh, spring training has started. We're a couple of days into it now, and uh, obviously, it's just pitchers and catchers. Our first games are coming up in about nine days. I can't wait. Um, I was thinking about this, and there was a there was actually an article in the AP. It was funny. I had just been talking to somebody about this the other day. It's going to be interesting to see what happens this year with pitching staffs, and and I, 
as, as maddening as it is sometimes to see the whole opener thing that the teams have gone to and, you know, having bulk inning guys, they call them out of the bullpen after somebody starts a game and goes an inning or two and then having somebody else come out of the bullpen and throw, you know, three or four innings. We're going to see that probably more this year. Why? Think about this. The season last year was 66 days long. That's it, okay? There were no minor leagues last year. So a lot of these young pitchers didn't get a lot of work in last year. And so, you know, the the rule of thumb usually with young players is, is that you only want to increase their innings year to year by 10 to 20 percent, you know, so you don't want to have a guy throw 50 innings one year and then all of a sudden he's throwing 150 innings the following year. So I wondered about that, you know, with so many guys that young guys that threw so few innings last year, what will they do this year? We've already had the Texas Rangers. Uh, no, the Detroit Tigers tell us that they're considering a six man rotation, a six man rotation. You know, when I was a kid, you know, the old guy to, you know, but when I was a kid, we had a four man rotation, you know, and then sometime it was in the, uh, uh, probably the eighties, I think where five man rotations became more prevalent. Now they're talking about six man rotations. You know, we're seeing, we don't, I think the, the, the days of seeing a guy pitch 200 innings, I don't think it's, it, I'm wondering if it's ever going to happen again. Yeah, I really do. You know, even your greatest pitchers, you know, they're not allowing them to go deep into games. It's like, you know, they there's this magic pitch number where they've decided that players need to come out. Yet, in the old days, a guy could throw 150 pitches and pitch three days later. And by the way, didn't get hurt all the time. I, I don't understand what has happened and whether it's the conditioning, whether it is guys are too too conditioned. I, I've, I liken it to... Uh, uh, the players have become like thoroughbreds, you know, where they have they do so much work on weights and things like that that they have they have their bodies so finely tuned that it's very easy to uh, to tweak something. You know, it's kind of like having a, a guitar string that is too tight, and then all of a sudden, ting, it breaks. You know, in the old days, and again, I I know I sound like a million years old. But in the old days, there wasn't that big emphasis on weight training and get, you know, all the lifting and all that stuff that they do. You know, you used to have a bunch of farm boys come out and, you know, just go play, you know. And, and to me, we need to be working more on flexibility and, and, and things like that than, than weight training. And I just I think that players have, be, have become too jacked. I don't know if that's the right term now. You look at some guys and they're not. But but I think in some cases, guys are are too finely tuning their bodies. Now, I'm not a – and, you know, I'm, I'm not a strength trainer. I'm not a weight trainer. It, look at me. You know, if you walk on a Facebook, you're not, you're not looking at the greatest physical specimen in the world. But I, I wonder sometimes if the emphasis on the weight room has hurt a lot of these guys. So what's going to happen this year? You got you got guys like uh, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer doesn't want to come out of games. You know, uh, Steven Strasburg, a guy who was a veteran, but a guy who has been hurt a lot. You know, they're not. He may not pitch past the fifth inning this year. You know, getting a guy to th- to a starter to go into the seventh inning this year 
might be like trying to find the uh, extinct dodo bird. I'm serious. I think it is going to be a very rare occasion this coming year where we see any starting pitcher go into the seventh inning. Uh, I would be willing to bet you that it will be less than 5% of the starts this year a pitcher will pitch into the seventh inning. Now, I'm going to I'm it's I'm going to track this. You know, I can do that with uh with baseball reference. baseballreference.com by the way, greatest greatest website ever if you're a baseball fan and you you're into try to uh to to look at the the numbers. Um but I would be I would be surprised if more than 5% of the games this year have a pitcher pitch into the 7th inning. I'm not even saying finish the 7th inning. Just go out for the 7th inning. I think it's going to be very very small. Um and one other manager said something, you know, what they're really going to have to do when they start spring training is get guys to slow down. Everybody's all jacked up. It's 162 games. We can't wait, right? Um, Scott Service, the manager of the Seattle Mariners, made a great point. Spring training is 50 days long. And as I just mentioned, excuse me, as I just mentioned, last year's season was 66 days long. So spring training this year is about two weeks shorter than the entire season was last year. So, you know, we've got to get guys to slow down and, and you know, don't th- come out there trying to throw the ball through a wall. You know, and that's going to be, I think, the biggest thing for all these pitching coaches and these managers to do is get guys to slow down. You know, Dave Massey watching on uh, Facebook just made a great point. Uh, pliability. That's a great term. I like that. Pliability. Uh, I call it flexibility. Pliability. I like it. Um, but he makes the point and he said TB12. That is one of the big tenets. That is one of the big things that Tom Brady preaches. It's not about, you know, getting in the weight room. It's about being pliable or flexible or whatever term you want to use. But that is what I think all these players need, you know, getting a guy in the weight room so that he, you know, he's got these massive biceps isn't going to help you. In fact, all it's going to do is lead to more, you know, pulled muscles. You know, there are certain muscles that you want to strengthen, obviously, as a as a player. You want to, you know, you've got to work on the shoulders and, you know, there's certain things you got to do, but you can overdo it. And I think there is a tendency to overdo it in Major League Baseball, maybe in every sport. To be honest with you, you know, I think the older I get, the more pulled hamstrings and uh, things like that that we see all the time. So, but yeah, they're going to have to really put the brakes on these guys. And, and, uh, and, and the other part of it that's going to be interesting is because the spring training this year is going to be, the games are going to be, there'll be fewer games. There'll be fewer innings because there's no more split squad games. Uh, they've reduced the travel. Some games may only go five innings. You know, if the if the managers think that their pitchers have gotten enough work in, they're only going to be five innings long. So these guys that are kind of, you know, on the tail end of your uh, bullpen or whatever, aren't there are not going to be a lot of innings out there for guys. You know, there'll be there'll be fewer innings available in spring training than we've seen before. So the work they're going to have to do is going to have to be on the backfields you know, in simulated games. They're not going to get as much game action as they did before. Uh, and 
carrying into that, if you're a Red Sox fan, what happens with Chris Sale? You know, Chris Sale, we know, underwent Tommy John surgery. The the kind of the date that's been pointed to, I guess, for his return would be the All-Star break, which this year is July 20-ish. I can't remember the exact date. But what happens with Chris Sale? Will they bring him back then? Because let's remember that his new contract starts this year. He will be under contract for the Red Sox through 2024. They owe him $115 million bucks through 2024, which, by the way, if he comes back and is the Chris Sale before, that's a bargain because that means you got him for you know about 25 bu- $25 million bucks a year. Um, but what will they do with him? You, you, I guarantee you, you won't see him pitch more than five innings in a game. And with Chris Sale, by the way, getting him past five innings on a hundred pitches is tough. Uh, that's one of the things that used to drive me nuts about Sale was that you know he he went deep into counts with a lot of guys. You know, how many times did we watch a game with Chris Sale? He's in the fourth inning and he's throwing eighty something pitches. You know that was the maddening thing. But you know th- there are people that don't think that the Red Sox will allow him to throw more than eighty pitches in a game. Well, sh- well, hell, they do that. You know, he could pitch four innings and he's out of there. But the Red Sox are going to be cautious with him. Pete Abraham pointed that out in the Boston Globe yesterday. I mean, they're not going to take any chances, nor should they. Now, having said that, if they're going to make any kind of run at the playoffs this year, they're going to need Chris Sale to be a part of that. Because I don't know how long you can rely on on Martin Perez and guys like that, Nick Pavetta's, to get you to the playoffs. I'm not sure those are the guys that get you there. You're going to need Chris Sale to be a part of that. Uh, It looks like Erod is going to be a full go. Um, Alex Cora mentioned that uh, uh, Rodriguez had sent him a bunch of videos in the offseason showing his workout, and he looks like he has recovered from that myocarditis that he he got uh, after contracting COVID. Let's, Let's hope so. Let's hope, and let's hope you know Evaldi stays healthy. You know uh, now the Pakota ratings I think show the Red Sox making the playoffs, and some other things I've seen said the Red Sox have a uh, like a fifty six percent chance to make the playoffs. I hope it's that high. I have to be honest; I'm pessimistic. But if it's really fifty six percent, awesome! That'd be great. Uh, speaking of COVID, uh, Shane Bieber, the uh, Ace of the Cleveland Indian staff has contracted the coronavirus, and uh, he has obviously not reported to the team's facility. It's he says he has very very mild symptoms. Uh, he's got a runny nose and stuff, and a, a slight fever, but he doesn't have it full blown. But he's got a case of it, so uh, he's going to be out for the next few weeks. So he will be a late start to spring training as well. But look, he's only twenty five years old. He's the Cy Young Award winner and the Indians will give him as much time as they need because the Indians are another team that, with all the moves they made, and they pretty much <laughs> shipped off all their talent, uh, they're going to need Bieber to to, uh, uh, to anchor that pitching staff. So let's hope that it's, you know, it's, it says it's very mild. Let's hope it stays that way because uh, we certainly want to see him in uniform this year. That is going to do it for us here tomorrow. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you, if you are uh, across the country, stay warm. I know it's uh, been difficult here lately, and uh, 
we're going to keep praying for the folks in Texas because it's just an absolute, uh, absolute mess out there. But it's been great to see that uh, the communities are all coming together out there. And, you know, that's one thing that, that I like about this country is, you know, we can, uh, we moan and we bitch a lot and, you know, we can be mean to each other. Uh, but when the chips are down, uh, we tend to rally together. So uh, let's keep praying for the folks out in Texas. We leave this morning with some music from Alan Jackson. We're all God's children. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.